Welcome to GRE Snacks, snackable episodes about the GRE exam and graduate school admissions. I'm Tyler, the founder of Achievable, and we have an affordable GRE course that includes everything you need to ace your GRE exam. A full textbook, videos on key topics, tons of GRE questions backed by our memory-enhancing algorithm, a built-in study planner, a machine learning essay grader for your essays, and full-length practice exams. You can try it out for free by visiting achievable.me, and if you like it, the code PODCAST gets you 10% off at checkout. Now, let's get started. Today, we've got Brian Prestia from Reason Test Prep excuse me, on the line with us today, and uh, really happy to have you back, Brian. Could you introduce yourself for people who haven't heard your earlier episodes? Sure. Thanks, Tyler. Thanks for having me back. So yeah, I'm the owner of Reason Test Prep. We do online tutoring for the SAT, ACT, GMAT, and GRE with a focus on the graduate exams. Most of our stuff nowadays is GMAT and GRE. Very cool. Yeah, so then uh, today we're going to be talking about the GRE reading comprehension sec. Uh, well, it's the verbal section, <laughs> but reading comprehension is a very large chunk of it. Um, so yeah, if we're talking about reading comprehension questions, and there's like subcategories and, and just kind of how to break each of these questions down and solve them. Yeah. So take it away. What are the what are the main categories within reading comprehension? Yeah, well, I guess maybe maybe first just um just you know, uh going back to our our previous episode about um you know, the argument questions. So again, like point of confusion is you got reading comp and you know, which is what ETS calls everything that's, you know, sort of reading comp-ish, but then you've got the argument questions and then you've got this sort of traditional reading comp. So yeah, like so obviously. Yeah, so what's the distinction between those two? Yeah, so just as a reminder, the argument questions are, you know, going to be typically an argument, except in the case of like an inference question where it's really a body of evidence and kind of like you're making the argument. But basically, the way to distinguish, uh, just to repeat from you know earlier episode, is the argument questions typically have one question only, and reading comp questions typically have multiple questions, usually two or three or um, on the shorter version of the GRE is probably not going to be more than three, but occasionally you could have had four on a really long passage. Um, and it's just like mm-hmm. a totally different skill set, right? Like argument questions is really like logic and, um, and like reading very, very critically. And a traditional reading comp is more like the kind of stuff that was on the SAT and ACT. And that's more typical of like what you do in graduate school, where you're just like reading something and trying to understand the author's, you know, purpose and, and, you know, digest the information. Great. Yeah. Yeah. So then let's take it away, I guess. (laughs) Yeah. So question types. All right. So I, I wish they, I wish ETS would just make this easier and just call them argument, you know, argument questions and reading comp. Then, you know, then people wouldn't get confused. Really, like I said, it's unfortunate that people don't even understand that there's a difference. But so on, on you know, traditional reading comp, you have, um, I, would, I would characterize it as two broad categories of questions. One, I would call explicit question types. So questions that ask about things that are explicitly stated in the passage. And then you have implicit question types. So, you know, things that ask about, um, you know, what the passage implies. And within, you know, obviously there's like specific question types within those two buckets, but I think that's a good way to get started thinking about it. And um, I would also say, I think much more of what you see is implicit and asking you to, you know, um, understand what's implied rather than being able to characterize like what was explicitly stated. Got it. Okay. Yeah. So maybe um, I would probably start with the 
well, actually, okay, before we get into the <laughs> the weeds on each of these, um, each of the question types, let me just preface and say, there's obviously a whole separate, you know, strategy around how to read the passages. And obviously, that's that's not really what we're focusing on today. But I just quickly mention because I, I think it's really, really important to how you answer the questions is, you know, the explicit questions are asking more about what the author says, right? So it's really testing like your literal comprehension of, you know, what, what you're reading. Um, and the implicit question types are really asking more about, well, yeah, like what's implied, right? And so for those, it's really much more important to understand what I call like the why of the passage, right? So why is the author saying this? What's the point of this? What's the author's purpose in writing this passage or in using this sent, you know, in this word or writing this sentence? So I'd say the explicit, explicit question types really align more with like your literal comprehension and your understanding of what the passage is saying. And the implicit question types really align more with your understanding of the author's intention and why the author is saying what he or she is saying. So that's the first thing. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. And then on the specific question types. So for the explicit question types, people might might disagree with me here, but really there's only one question type that I would like flatly put in the explicit bucket. And that is like a detail question. So mm -hmm. it helps to, first of all, be able to identify these questions, right? Because like, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't matter if you understand how to approach a detail question if you don't even know that it is a detail question. Right. So that's step one is identifying each of these. So in the case of a detail question, um, the wording, you know, either it will, the question will clearly indicate that what they're asking about is something that is directly stated. So it'll say something like, you know, the author states or, or the author mentions or the passage states which of the following, right? So something that mm -hmm. it makes it clear that they're asking about what's explicitly stated. But the other, there, there's another like kind of code word for detail question that I think a lot of people just don't pick up on. And that is according to the passage. When you see according to the passage, you know, what is true of, you know, harbor seals or something like that, um, you know, that you could read that according to the passage is basically a detail, like trigger for a detail question. And then, yeah, then once you know it's a detail question, then strategy is pretty simple. I mean, go back to the passage, find the relevant details, and then look for an answer that's essentially like a paraphrase of that. Right. So like the right answer is not going to exactly say what the passage said. That would be too easy. So you're looking for something that basically, you know, says the same thing, but in different words. So that's how they're testing your literal comprehension is essentially, can you rephrase what was said there in an accurate way? That's what the right answer is. And then the wrong answers are going to either just be like totally off, right? They're like not even mentioned in the passage or the harder ones will be things like, you know, details that are mentioned in the passage, right? But that like mm -hmm. aren't the right detail. You know, it's kind of like the wrong part of the passage or it's the right detail, but they're distorting, they're distorting that detail in a way that makes it wrong. So it's like, you know, the wrong answer is like, is built off of that correct detail, but they tweak one or two words in, you know, in the wording of the answer choice to make it just flatly wrong. Got it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Cool. Okay. Should we pivot to the uh, implicit question types? Sure. Yeah. Okay. 
All right. So implicit question types. There are a few. There there are a handful of these. So the the two I would start with because they're they're very related are. Um, and, and again, anyone who's like studied for the GRE or done practice tests, whatever, is going to recognize all this stuff. So one is the like overall, like big sort of big picture question. Um, and that will be, you know, what is the author's primary purpose? What is the main purpose of the passage? Sometimes I'll ask for a title, like what would be, you know, an appropriate title for this passage? Those are all, even if it's asking for the title, what they're really asking is, what is the author's main purpose, right? So that's something you should really be picking up on when you read the passage in the first place, I would say. Um, right. And then the other very similar question is what's known as a function question. And so that you could think of as just like a more specific version of a, you know, kind of big picture purpose question where it'll say, you know, what is the function of this sentence? Or on the jury, sometimes they'll even say, which sentence performs this function? So it's like almost like a backwards, it's like a reverse function question where they give you the function and then you have to go and find the sentence that performs that function. Interesting. Yeah, that that sounds hard. But... Those are hard. Yeah. Um, so anyway, I think like strategy for these questions, number one, again, you've got to understand what the author's intention is, both on like a big picture level and on like, okay, what is the point of this paragraph? What is the author trying to do in this paragraph? Um, if you're answering more like what the sentence says or what the paragraph or what the passage is talking about rather than why the author wrote it, well, then you're probably getting the question wrong. So that's one thing. Second thing is you have to really pay attention to like tone and attitude, right? So if the mm -hmm. author is being very argumentative, right? Well, then mm -hmm. an answer like, you know, the author's purpose was to criticize or something like that, like might be right. Whereas if the author's tone is like very neutral, well then no, it's gonna you know the right answer is gonna is gonna have to be more like explain or describe or something like that. So part of it is just like picking up on the on the like purpose and tone, um, and then a couple other like strategies I think that go into this. But one other pattern I think you see in the right answers is they're often worded in a deliberately vague way for whatever reason, like they use very vague language and then the wrong answers will be more specific. Um, and that's mm. just like tempts people. I don't know what like itch that scratches, but it definitely scratches. Well, I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of standardized tests where the, the most direct answer is the right, right. answer, right? right? The ACT and SAT totally. is a good example of that. So yeah. it's like now we're screwing with people yeah. a little bit. Yeah. So like, for example, but remember, these are, you know, these are questions asking about broadly, like the author's intention or the author's purpose in doing something, right? Like, like, uh, you know, word choice or a sentence or a paragraph. So for example, the right answer might say something like the author's purpose was to um, uh, criticize a recent theory, right? And the wrong answer might say something like the author's purpose was to, um, I don't know, take issue with, um, I don't know, and then, you know, get into some, take issue with um, recent study about, you know, the position of Mars relative to Venus or something like that. And like, people will be kind of tempted by like that specificity, but then like, that's actually not really what the point of it, it wasn't about that exactly. And so like that answer is just wrong, but people are tempted by like the specificness of it. So. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean that that is a, a tricky it's important to remember if you're coming from 
you know, taking the SAT or ACT as your last standardized test, which is most people, the GRE has very different goals. Um, their goal is to really like for, I don't know, maybe the nice way of putting it is make you think. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, I think we, again, this goes back to maybe one of the earlier episodes that we had about the, uh, you know, this idea of no ambiguity, but, um, I think we talked about like, you know, suboptimal answers. And I think in the last, last uh, episode as well, where, you know, they have to make the questions hard. Right. And so in order to do that, you have to have, you know, wrong answers that are tempting, not all of them necessarily, but at least one that's like really tempting. And then you also need to have the right answer, not be perfect, right? Because if even if the wrong answer, the best wrong answer is really, really good, right? If the right answer is perfect, then people are still going to pick that right answer. So they have all these ways mm -hmm. of like disguising the right answer. This sounds like maniacal and, you know, just mean or whatever, but it's just right, like they like they've got like a like a little top hat and like they're twisting their mustaches <laughs> as they write this. Totally. Um, but yeah, like, I mean, it's just it's just how do you you know, how do you create a test where you can separate people who are at the top end of the spectrum? Right. Like you need questions that are really hard where only people who are at a 168 level and above on the GRE will get it right. Whereas someone who's at a 165 level will get it wrong. Right, you you need questions that that can really parse people like kind of at that at that level or delineate at that level. So yeah, anyway, you 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 know you do things like make the right answer suboptimal, and on these like you know purpose questions and function questions, often what they do is they just make the right answer very vague. It's still right, like it's still capturing the author's intention correctly. It's just very vague, and then they'll you know hit you with a wrong answer that. It's just so tempting because it's more specific and it feels like it's really getting into like the details that the passage is getting into, but then it's just wrong because it's like not actually <laughs> capturing the author's purpose correctly. So anyway. Right. Yeah. yeah. And any, any tips in general for sort of deciphering the author's purpose? Yes. Okay. Um, yeah. So this obviously gets more at how you're reading the passage, but um Oh, right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So uh, ideally, you've done this when you read the passage. You know what I mean? Like, you know, of course, if you have to go back you, you, and reread, you have to go back. But ideally, this is what I'm about to say is, is true of the way you read it in the first place. So I think there's a couple things here. One is this is um, this is e easier said than done. But you have to get yourself out of the like passive seat at the table where you're just absorb like a sponge just absorbing the passage and really go kind of on the attack and be like I, I need to read it not from the point of view of the reader which is who you are right so that's hard to like not be the reader since you are the reader you have to kind of get up and like come to the other side of the table effectively and view it from the point of view of the person writing it so I actually just, um, I have all the different ways of like, I have like a visual that I sometimes like draw for people, but I actually just recently gave this like analogy that might be helpful here. And I'll, I'll throw it at you, Tyler. You can, you can tell me what you think. Um, feel free to, to shoot this down. But basically it's like um, when you go to the movies, right? Or when you watch a movie, you are obviously in the seat of the viewer and you're passively just absorbing the movie right like you're not doing any work mm -hmm. you're just sitting there kind of enjoying the movie right but it would be as if your goal was to not do that but to actually try to think about it from the point of view of the screenwriter and be like okay 
if you know, which is ruins the movie, obviously, when you're, you know, if you're watching Harry Potter and like in the beginning of the movie, some like new professor, like it gets introduced, you're like, okay, obviously something's going to happen with this new professor, right? Because like, that's why they introduce this character you know, he's either going to be bad or good. And like, you know, you can start to pick. Right. Pick. He's going to be involved. So. Right. Right. And you might even go deeper if you're really think, thinking about from the point of view of the writer. Right. Um, you know, that like, okay, what's, you know, what is JK Rowling trying to do here? You know, why did, why did she characterize this, um, you know, this character in this particular way or why they describe, you know, why is, why is the character doing this or whatever? Again, it ruins the whole experience of the, of watching the movie but like that's how you need to attack a reading comp passage is think about it from the point of view of the person writing it and what are they trying to do at each at every turn. So but yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's I think it's helpful especially to think about it once you're armed with sort of what these question types are, because then you can look at it, you can look at say the question even before you read the passage and go, Oh, this is a strengthened question or whatever. Right. And then you can read the passage with that context yeah i think i think when you see that the first question on a reading comp passage is like a primary purpose like what's the author's primary purpose well like obviously you've got to read it with that lens but honestly i'd read it with that lens anyway because it's really helpful for answering some of the other question types um and maybe actually that's a good pivot back to the question types because that that kind of leads into um like what i would suggest strategically on like inference questions for example so i don't know if you want maybe i can elaborate on that yeah sure okay so um and by the way i, I don't think I, I gave you like one answer to the question of how to read for you know what the author's purpose is there's a bunch of other more specific things but i think like just before we close the door on that that one change of mentality of like turning the switch on where you go into an active reading mode without that nothing's gonna happen so i'd say that's like the starting point really and i i, I definitely we see people who like just literally need that like they understand how to read actively and critically but mm -hmm. they're just not doing it they don't realize that that's really how they need to kind of read it so anyway that's one starting point for it all but um okay so for the other implicit question types let's talk about inference questions so for inference questions really you have two i would, I would really think of these in kind of two types one is general inference questions and the other is specific inference questions General inference questions like don't give you really like any anchor in the passage to to like go back and like look for the answer. So they'll be worded, uh, you know, which of the following would the author most likely agree with, right? Like, right, okay, like and it's like the sky is blue. It's like okay, great. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like you can't you can't anticipate what the answer is going to be, um, and it's a very general question, right? And it's an inference because they're asking you to infer what the author would agree with. So, um, you know, in a case like that, it again, really relies on your big picture understanding. Like you got to understand the author's tone and purpose and, you know, sort of attitude. That is really the key on those questions. And then, yeah, I mean, you go to the answers and, you know, you may have to, based on the answers, you may have to go back and like research the answer in the passage. So you might be like, okay, like A, B, and C are totally inconsistent with the author's point here but dna are both close i don't know and then you got to go back and be like all right let me see what he says about or what she says about you know this 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 answer choice and this answer choice um and the other thing that we talked about i think in the you know previous episode that we did is um you know here's here's a case where you don't want a 
really bold, extreme answer because you're drawing an inference. And the further you leap from what was stated, the less likely you're standing on an inference that can definitely be drawn. So you're really looking for something that makes a very small leap from what was stated. Um, and then the specific inference questions are very similar in, in, that, in that regard. The difference is just like, it's gonna, it'll say something more specific in the question. Like, you know, what can be inferred about the author's mention of um, Mars or something like that, right? So mm -hmm. in that case, you know, you're probably best off going back to the passage, rereading what the author said about Mars. But again, remembering that you're being asked to draw an inference. So the answer might not be um, a paraphrase the way it is on a detailed question. It might make you, you know, make a little bit of a leap or even in, in very hard questions, maybe draw information from like, kind of like two parts of the passage and like combine them to draw some inference. Those are the hardest ones where like you're actually pulling multiple pieces of information to kind of draw some conclusion based on it. But still, right. you want like the smallest leap that could be made. And the more you're going off on your own and drawing conclusions that are, you know, not totally warranted, the less likely it is that, you know, you're going to be on the right answer. Yeah. Yeah. It makes a ton of sense. Cool. Um, okay. And then the last question type quickly, uh, if this is almost mm -hmm. not even worth mentioning, because I feel like these questions are pretty straightforward, but uh, it's probably just, you know, good to, to cover it all. Vocab and context questions, right? So you get mm -hmm. these questions that ask, they're reading comp questions, right? They're part of a reading comp passage, but they're asking you about the meaning of a word in the context of the passage. I think, I think to the untrained eye, you might just call that an explicit question type because it's like, well, aren't they just asking you like about what the word means? Like, isn't it's not, you're not really drawing an inference, but um it's not, that's not really the case because they're vocabulary in context, right? So the game on those questions is, can you discern the meaning of a word based on the context, right? So it, you are, you know, kind of drawing an inference a little bit because you really have to think about how the word is being used in that sentence um, and, you know, and what you can infer about its meaning based on that. And I think here, you know, a common wrong answer will be like the obvious definition of a word when the right answer is going to be like maybe more of like a secondary definition or something that's more based on the context and not like the obvious definition of the word. Got it. Okay. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense too. Um, and then what is next up on, on our list here? Yeah, for so that's it for the, the reading comp um, question types. Um, yeah. The other thing that maybe to quickly talk about if you want is the uh, um, like wrong answer some of the, the you know broad, more broad like wrong answer patterns. Mm -hmm. So obviously we talked a little bit in the context of the individual question types, right? Like what some of the you know vague answers are right. Um, those are more often right, and maybe a more specific answer can often be wrong on a like general quite like a big purpose, big picture purpose question. Um, but I think you could even identify some like broad trends over all the questions that may be worth quickly talking about. Um, Sure. I think that's good. And that'd be a good way to kind of wrap this up. Cool. Okay. So I guess the first thing I would say is this again goes back to like my belief um, that getting the author's purpose and tone is the most important thing, even when you're not being asked about it. Okay. So I think that wrong answers are often wrong simply because they're maybe this isn't the right way to say it. Maybe they're wrong for other reasons, but you can identify them as wrong 
simply because they're just totally inconsistent with the point of the passage and the author's purpose, right? So like even on a, and I, I could just tell you as someone like, you know, I I very rarely miss reading comp questions and I can often be very fast. I'm, I'm not a very fast reader, actually. Like I'm a pretty slow reader, I think. Um, but I'm, I can be very, very fast with the questions themselves. And part of, part of it, and I've noticed this when I've personally tutored people, is I can see that other people are not leveraging this, and I am. And, and so it's like an obvious discrepancy. But basically, you know, even on like a detail question, I might read, you know, let's say the right answer is E, okay? And I read A, B, C, and D. And as I read them, I'm like, okay, I don't remember this in the passage, okay? But that doesn't mean that it's wrong because maybe it was in the passage and I can't remember this, right? But what I can say is, I don't see why this would be in the passage because it's not, it's not matching what the point of the passage is, right? So you can often eliminate answers even on detail questions by understanding the author's overall you know, purpose and the tone and, and kind of what the point of everything was because you can just be like, look, like, yeah, I don't, I don't actually remember you know, reading this or not reading it, but I just don't see how this would be in the passage because, yeah, it's just not consistent with where the author was, was going. So that's the first thing is that um, wrong answers are often wrong, partly because they're just like not really related to the central focus of the passage or, or the author's purpose. And, um, and understanding that purpose and tone can allow you to be like really, really fast in eliminating answers. Interesting. Okay. And it's kind of, it's not like a shortcut, but it's more of an extension of what you already should be learning. It's like the next level of inferring what the author means or wants. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think it's a shortcut. Yeah. I don't think it's a shortcut at all. I think it's just like really, I don't know what to call it, but I suppose it's just like real, like, you know, um, real ability at picking up on what the point of the passage is and recognizing that an answer that isn't in line with that just can't be right, right? Because like, how can it be the right mm -hmm. answer is not even, you know, in line with the point of the passage. So, um, and like, I don't want to exaggerate, but, you know, you can, you can sometimes go through three questions in 40 seconds, you know what I mean? Like something lightning fast, if you're really pinched on time and just be like, okay, no, 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 no. I think it's this just based on, you know, my overall understanding of the passage. Um, so anyway, that's one, one thing. And then a second thing is like we talked about very, very common that a right answer is suboptimal, but not wrong. Right. So you, you have to really know that when you're looking for the right answer, you can't be looking for the perfect like instantiation of, of like what the, you know, what it should say, you have to be open to just something being acceptable and, you know, deliberately written to be not sounding that great. And right. you couple that with an understanding of what often happens with the wrong answers, which is specifically on the like traditional reading comp. What you often get is an answer that's like 95% perfect, right? And then like has one word or two words that are just wrong, you know? So like mm -hmm. on a general level, it might sound better than the right answer because like 95% of it is like exactly what you wanted. You know what I mean? And the wrong answer, mm -hmm. or sorry, the right answer, like everything about it sucks basically, but it's not wrong. It's just like, it's just suboptimal and just not really kind of, it doesn't sound that good. So 
you really, you know, if you... But it's not wrong. It's not wrong. (laughs) And the wrong answer will sound better to your, like, to your ear at first. But then there's a word that you could be like, okay, yeah, but like that word right there, that's just definitely wrong. There's no way this answer could be right with that word in it. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great tip. And I think just like a good way to approach the GRE verbal in general. (laughs) Yeah. Especially these reading comp questions. Yeah. I think, um, you know, in the previous uh, episode, we were talking about like the importance of precision. And like there, I think I was talking a little bit more about like the arguments and like being really precise in the way that you break down the argument. On reading comp, you don't need a lot of precision on the passage, right? There's only, especially on a long passage, just like only so much that you could possibly remember anyway. So you're really there. You're actually not trying to read it very, very precisely and really trying to just get a good understanding of the author's intention and kind of the the function of the parts of the passage. But at the answer choices, you have to be really, really precise because again, a wrong answer might sound better than the right answer, but then there's just like one word that just like torpedoes the whole answer. And if you're not being really careful in the way that you read it, then you're going to completely miss that and get the question wrong. Right. Yeah. Makes a ton of sense. Anything else on this topic before we wrap up? No, I mean, I, I, I guess just the, you know, the, the fact that the, the reading of the passage is the other half of the story. So obviously we're focusing more on the questions themselves and identifying them and answering them. Um, uh, you know, a lot of this, a lot of this obviously starts with how well you read the passage, but I think people neglect the read the, um, the question types and they don't have any idea that there's, you know, I guess they know there's different question types, but they don't really, they're not familiar with them. They're not familiar with what they're expected to do on those question types. So, you know, if you're looking to bring your score up, um, you know, a few points on the verbal section, even setting aside how well you read the passage, like there's definitely, you know, juice to be squeezed, you know, from the lemon on just purely getting better at the identifying the question types and knowing how to answer them. Yeah, fantastic. Thank you so much. This has been GRE Snacks, hosted by Tyler from Achievable with Brian Prestia from Reason Test Prep. And Achievable has a great online GRE course that you can try for free by going to achievable.me and use the code podcast to get 10% off at checkout.